Coming to you from the Morningstar Mission sponsored studio, this is Carl and Crew Mornings. Helping you take your next step with Jesus. That's what we're all about here, Allie. Do you, have you ever counted your steps? Have you ever worn a, some sort of a tracker? It's funny that you say, oh, steps. I thought you were meaning steps with Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Do you still have your step tracker? Oh, I do. And uh, my daughter wears one too, so she's always uh, trying to compete with me. That's which great. It's never even a competition. Just, Mom, how, how are your steps doing? Oh, I'm somewhere around uh, 3,400. I have 11,000. <laughs> it's always way more. So well, mom doesn't take nearly as many steps in a day as my active 13-year-old. All we need you to take today is one giant step. Just one. And we've got some content that will help you do that. Got to go into work? Don't worry. Check out the Curl and Crew Showcast wherever you like to stream. You're listening to Curl and Crew Mornings. I love it. In uh, Romans 4.16, it says clearly, the Apostle Paul says that Abraham is the father of all who believe. Now, here's why that's so important. Abraham's life becomes a template for authentic faith. And it's such a powerful, anchored, strongly, uh, how do I say this? This is such core good theology, a study of God and how his economy works. Because in just these few words, we find, oh, wow, this is the essence of salvation. It's found here in Romans 4, actually verse 3. For what does Scripture say? Paul is writing, looking back to Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's a lot going on there, isn't it? Yes, there is a lot. That's a lot going on there. Because it's, uh, do we think that this is referring to mere intellectual belief? No, it's not at all. No. Not in the least. It is referring to belief of a couple of things that are super tangible, but outside of his reach. So if you go back to Genesis 15, let me just read here a little bit. After these things, verse 1 of chapter 15, this is really cool. This is how you know you stand with God and he stands with you. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield, your reward, and it shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, for your very son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, at this point, Abraham hadn't verbalized his faith. It hadn't gone in motion. But inside his heart, he was set apart for a relationship with God. And then verse 6 says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him. As righteousness. So the question you got to ask is what in the world did Abraham believe God for? What did he believe him for? Well, he believed him for the fact that God had promised him something. He said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. They will be my people. And Abraham believed him, even though there was no realistic, logical path towards that. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Here's the deal, guys. I want to tell you this right now. It is 
vital to know this. Abraham believed God that for things that were unimaginable and totally unattainable. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do it. There was no possible way he could take hold of these things. He just couldn't. No. And it is incumbent on us to understand that one of the greatest evidences of knowing that you stand with God is if you can say, I believe that God's plan for life is the best and that God alone can turn my life around like he did Abraham's, the father of all who believe, and that you can't receive this apart from God. Abraham was pinned. He looked at the stars in the sky and he's like, there's no way I'm going to get that, right? No way. There's no way I'm going to take hold of that. Yeah. And God said, but I'm going to give it to you. And he believed. Mm -hmm. It's total abandonment and surrender to the God who flung those stars in space. Do you believe that God that way? When you believe God for the things that you cannot achieve and the things that you cannot imagine, and you say, God, I'm asking you to make me that dad. God, I'm asking you to make me that person. God, I'm asking you to pull out of the shadows all the sin and junk in my life. I'm believing you. Now you're on the right road. Ever wonder what happens when the mics are off? Find out on Carl and Crew Mornings Facebook and Instagram. Not much different. No. Not much different. Nah, sometimes we got some cool stuff going on back here. Yeah, but I mean, we're pretty much the same people. Off yeah, the oh mics. yeah, there's no difference in who we are. It's just extra. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there's just more. I'm sorry. Is that why we do that? <laughs> yeah. I said it's I'm the mustard. I was say it's you go ahead. Mustard. Take it away. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you hear us on the mics, off the mics. We are the exact same personality, but there's more stuff going on. I thought that on. it was me and something different. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little mustard. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, go check us out on social media. We've got some good stuff. There. Yeah, we got, uh, we, got the, we, we got the four attributes of a disciple that are up there from last yeah. week. So go good check stuff. it out. Carl yes. and Crew. Carl with a K. Carl and Crew at... Instagram and Facebook. Check it out. Okay, uh, this is really a cool little passage here we're going to get into. We're talking about nine ways to know you stand with God and he stands with you. And when you read these, what I've taken is these little scriptures, and I've written kind of a little bullet summation of them in the blog. But I would encourage you to dive right in and read this thing. But this was our verses for our college that I went to, Bible college. Really? Okay. It's now called Multnomah University. Ah. But back in the day, it was... Multnomah Bible College? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And right. the, the president, John G. Mitchell, this guy was a man of the word, and he would get up. He was in his... I think he was in his late 80s, early 90s, and he would teach uh, spiritual life mm-hmm. to the whole campus. And he'd get up there every morning, and his first thing was, Students! Why aren't you reading your Bibles? <laughs> and he would begin all, that all way. All right, then. <laughs> but then he would wax on the joy of mm. jumping into the Word. That's awesome. And he was Aww. one of the most compelling dudes you could ever imagine. Mm. Just a righteous guy. But this was it. So um, we were called the Multnomah Ambassadors. Oh, okay. Okay? Nice. And here it is. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. By the way, these are the two verses for this second way you can know you stand with God and he stands with you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, look what you're an ambassador of. Listen to this. God making his appeal through us, Paul says. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So our theme song was, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors. What do you, you, if you're going to smile at me like that, I can't even sing this thing. <laughs> I'm today. smiling with She's you. Giggling. I'm smiling All right, with so you. here we go. Okay. We are in the world, but not of the world. We're ambassadors for Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven above. We're ambassadors for the king above. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. There it is. I like that. Wow. Can you remember? Yeah, I remember that thing. Cool. That's good. Went and watched my wife cheer at basketball games, so I had to remember that because of saying <laughs> that at every basketball game. No, it was great, man. It was uh it was it, it was awesome, but I never broke it down at that time, but now I can. Yeah. That what we're ambassadors of, and this is how you can know you stand with God and he stands with you. You know it's God's righteousness and not yours that saves you. That it's Jesus' righteous life and death that paved the way for the salvation of your life. You're so convinced of this that as a child of God, you know who gets the credit and you're eager to admit it. See, we're ambassadors for Christ. There's something about, if you can say, Carl, I'm with you on that one. But if there's, that's great. But if there's something inside you that goes, you know what? No, I I think I bring a little something. You don't know God. Yeah. If you think you bring something to the table. mm -mm. (laughs) No, we don't bring anything to the table. And that's not denigrating you. I mean, you've done good things, but that won't earn you salvation. Only the blood of Jesus. And those that know how sweet and powerful this salvation is, they go, I am eager to admit I brought nothing to the table. Isn't that a freeing thing? It is a freeing thing. It's it's so, and it doesn't like, I guess if you look at the natural feelings of the world, it wouldn't because you're like, I want the credit. But if for some reason, unexplainably, it is one of the most relieving things just to be able to give all the credit to Christ. It's just sweet. It feels good in your soul. All glory, God, no credit to me, and here's why. Yeah. And there's something so healthy about that because then you realize, oh, my goodness, this is just bringing me back to rock-solid theology because you know what can creep in? A sense in which maybe I did bring a little something to this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not Maybe I'm not as totally empty and void of righteousness as I once thought. You know, yeah. guys, apart from the righteousness of Christ, we got nothing. But in him, we got the world. Helping you start your day off right. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. All right, shifting gears here, guys. Did you hear that clutch right there? I did. A little clutch action. It's Carl and Crew Mornings helping you take your next step with Jesus. I, I am giddy about this. Am I not? You are giddy. This is really a fun topic. And I love this because I, I always want you to understand some of the most difficult questions and challenges that we face in life. And one of them is assurance of salvation. It's big. I want you to know where you stand with God and that he stands with you. And to be able to assess, not being judgmental, but exercising judgment is wise. 
please don't be the parent, the friend, the spouse that puts their head in the sand and wants to believe the best or goes by the seat of their pants or feelings that they have. Because our feelings, although they're valid, they're often incorrect. Very true. So here's what we have for you. We've got a resource, and I'm going to be championing this all week long, but I know that some of you land here for a day in a week for like 15 to 20 minutes. So if that's you right now, come get this resource. All you got to do is text the word STAND to 312-274-9624. Nine ways to know you stand with God and he stands with you. STAND to 312-274-9624. This one here is awesome. When you think about evidence that someone is really saved, this whittles it down, doesn't it, It does. This is number four, right? Yeah. Can I read it right off this resource? Read it right off the resource. Okay. This is number four. You are willing and ready to claim Jesus as your Savior. You don't shy away from boldly stating, if, if asked, that Jesus is the one who saved you from your old life. Your relationships with Jesus, your relationship rather with Jesus is cherished and you're willing to talk about it. It's that just that straight up and honest. So here's what I'm using and citing. So everyone, Jesus says, who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Now, is this a threat? No, it's a confirmation. See, we, we got to be careful here. Yeah. Words matter. And so a a lot of people look at a passage like this and they go, oh boy, this is a threat. No, it's a promise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a promise. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. What's going on here? Why is this not a threat? It's not a threat because he's not saying it angrily at us. He's not trying to scare us into uh, into giving him the credit for our life change. He's not trying to scare us into, uh, you know, saying, oh, it was God, it was God, and be terrified of him. No, he's he's saying something that is true and something that is hard to hear, but love is there, not, not threats and, and trying to overpower you. He's saying, if you stand with me and I stand with you, you will not shrink away at all from telling people about the power of Christ that is in you. Bottom line. Now, be careful here because some of you are thinking, oh, Carl, I get weak in the knees. I get that. I get, I'm Mr. Bold Carl here. I get weak in the knees at times, you know, right guys? Yeah. But the question is on a pretty consistent basis at work in the neighborhood, If someone were to ask you through the course of conversation, hey, by the way, do you have a religion of any kind or, uh, you know, a question comes up. If there's an inability to proclaim Christ and to explain the power of Christ that's been in your life and you resist that, it could be a dinner bell that God is ringing to tell you, whoa, do you really know him? Why is this so important? This is vital because I think this is a watershed evidence of whether or not you stand with God and he stands with you. Because when you're truly in Christ, really have a story of God's grace, that thing's going to come bubbling out of you. Mm -hmm. There's no way around it. So again, this isn't a threat by Jesus. It's a promise. If you deny me before, and I'll deny you before my father. If If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. Why? Because 
when you've been turned around, you were born with your back to God and God turns you around by his grace. You now see the son of God for who he is, the savior of the world, and he transforms your life. You're going to talk about that. Now, it doesn't mean that you're walking around with a placard up or that you're flying a Christian flag off your front porch, but it does mean that you're willing, when asked, to say, Jesus is my leader. If you want this resource, again, text the word STAND, S-T-A-N-D, STAND to 312-274-9624. Text the word STAND, 312-274-9624. Don't miss out on all the fun. Keep up with Carl and Crew mornings on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget, that's Carl with a K. One way you can know you stand with God and he stands with you. You know that your ability to produce good fruit and attractive behavior is dependent on your proximity to Jesus. Now, I'm going to take that statement right there and I'm going to tell you, when we are born again, the lights come on and in an instant, we know we didn't do it. He changed us. Fair enough? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though you can't pin down a date in that season, you know, tearfully, it's all God. Sure. In his grace. Herein lies the problem, though. You are fully aware that if there is light shining out of you, it is God at work in you. I think most genuinely transformed people would say absolutely so. You know for sure that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing to produce fruit in your strength. That one we forget. Yes. See, this is why I'm, you know, all of these that we've handled thus far, and I didn't want to leave this one out when I wrote this thing, because this is, this is what Jesus said, guys, I'm standing there on the steps of ascent. And we're very close to where Jesus would have looked and grabbed a, and I'm looking around at the topography and and we're right close by where a vineyard would have been and Jesus would have said, Right here, because he's about to go to trial. He's about to be killed. So this way, he's getting killed a few hundred yards. This way, he's teaching on the way to the cross, these disciples, when we find this in John 15. And I got to tell you guys that any sober-minded, truly regenerate person knows this. And that's why I left this in here, because there is a religious spirit that does not know this kind of power. They can't say this. They can't. They can't say, it's all God. I had nothing to do with it. It's his juice. So I was actually interviewed on a show last night. Um, I don't even know where they are. You get on these interviews, you don't even know where these people are calling from because I get these people calling in. (laughs) The guy was great, though. And I was going off on this one right here, proximity to Jesus versus producing fruit. And, And here again, this guy loves the Lord. He is going for it with Jesus. I don't know where he was, by the way, so it doesn't even matter. Sure. And no condemnation because he's like, he on the break, he goes, bro, this is exceptional. He says, I've never heard this. Hmm. But it's right here in John 15. Proximity to Jesus versus fruit production. We know that it's all about Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And here's the gap. I know it, but sometimes I go back to trying to self-produce. And I'll tell you. It's a daily battle for me. Oh, Maybe yeah. Allie's got, Allie's probably got it hammered. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. And I, th- I think that there's two different things at play here because I know that I didn't hear this for a long time, even though I had been in church. So I think you hadn't the, heard it, but you knew it when you were born again. You knew that it was God's power. In I you. don't think it's taught, though. I don't think that this is emphasized. I think there is this sense of, OK, now I'm a Jesus follower. And then everything that you hear around it is sort of like, 
okay, now start reading your Bible. Now start doing this, start doing this, start doing this. So you kind of, uh, by church culture, you kind of get assimilated into this Mm. system that sort of says, do, 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 do. Yeah, you're right about that, Allie, because I had, uh, he had questions that came in via text and he said, oh my goodness, there are questions coming in. And what the questions revolve around? They said, what do you mean? We, we, what do you mean? It's all God. What do you, so they're wrestling with this shock of, yeah, I can't do anything. And, and I, this is a quote I came back to. I went to Galatians three, who has bewitched you that, that you began in the spirit. Why are you working out in the flesh? So by the way, anyone can forget this stuff, even when you've been taught it. Yeah. But there, Paul says that, that was begun in the spirit. So they would have recognized when the spirit of God is at work, it's him. Mm-hmm. Why are you working out in the flesh? But the question was, what do you mean? I, I don't do anything. And I went back to Dallas Willard's quote that I put in my book. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And that's a big distinction, guys. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And when we lose our minds for a little bit and go back to this self-effort thing, it's, it's just absolutely deadly. I believe in my heart of hearts that if we can get John 15 firmly ensconced in our heart, I mean the whoop and wharf of who we are waking up. If you just wake up and all you say for 30 days, apart from him, I can do nothing and repeat that over and over again, you're going to be in a good place. It's big. Apart from him, we can do nothing. What? I'm sorry, but that's what the that's what our Savior of the world said. And he said it not as a way of condemnation. He said it as a way of, get this, guys. This is a spiritual life you're living. I love this stuff. Yeah, good I, stuff. I, I just, it just gets me going. It just gets me going. Going from believers of Jesus to followers of Jesus. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, Boom Crew, we got a treat for you. Dr. John Kessler, faculty emeritus here at Moody Bible Institute and Pastoral Studies. And we're going to give you his website here a couple of times this morning. So you're going to love this. He's a contributing editor and columnist for the Moody publication Today in the Word. His podcast and blog is called The Stranger in the House of God. And he's with us right now. Good morning, Doc. How are you? I'm good, Carl. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my goodness. What do we do on social media? You've got some thoughts here. I think the dilemma for a lot of people with social media is some people are scared to death to speak. Others are not frightened at all to speak, and they should be. What precipitated this discussion for you? What caused you to cogitate on the trouble with meme activism? Well, for me, it was sparked by a kind of disturbance I felt as I was, like many other people, sort of scanning my social media feed. And I noticed there was one particular uh, meme that that kept sort of popping up that was a quote from attributed to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to, is to act. And I've actually noticed it over the past few years. And there was something about it that bothered me. You know, I like Bonhoeffer, and actually, you know, the quote is sort of impressive, but there was something that felt wrong about it. And so I began to sort of analyze how we communicate on social media, why it doesn't really work, and why that statements like that really aren't 
doing anything. And that, that's, I think that's really in, at the heart of what I felt was a problem, that we've come to see memes as a form of activism when really they're, they're not. <laughs> they're something less than that. What are they? I mean, because I think let's let's just cut to the chase here. I think sometimes if you see a meme, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act or a Facebook post. That's let me just be candid. It seems like that almost grants license for some people to be angry evangelicals. I like to call them just angry Christians. Exactly right. I think part part of the problem is the nature of social media itself, that the the way social media works is that it rewards strong emotion, particularly anger, so that it makes, you know, it makes people inclined to want to sort of lash out and make these statements. And I, and I think this statements like this, memes like this are really not modes of communication. They're actually forms of propaganda, because the the point is not to persuade. You know, when you see meme like that, they're not reaching out to people who disagree with them in order to persuade them to think otherwise. They are either speaking to their own audience in in the hopes of sort of building the platform and getting it promoted, or it's really just a kind of a slap in the face to the people who have a different view. I also think that well, what's actually going on? I think that this sort of meme morality is a mode of self-flattery. It's a, what's it's a form of what's called virtue signaling. You know, where we're really trying to tell everybody what we think, and then of course we want people to get on board with that, even if they may not really think about it. We're it's exerting a kind of pressure on people to affirm this position. And it's also superficial. I think that's a problem with it. Yeah. It's asking for a response without really having people think about it. I think a lot of people, in fact, I know a lot of people look at um, Jesus telling his disciples as he sent them out two by two, if they don't receive your word, kick the dust off your feet. And it's kind of that's the way it's kind of interpreted in their heart as well. The heck with you. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they look at Jesus's woes in Matthew to the Pharisees and calling people whitewashed tombs and uh, dirty, filthy travel mugs and different things like that. And I think that without a correct understanding and a good, frankly, a good hermeneutic, an understanding of how to study scripture, we can feel self-justified in Christian anger. I want you to explain why that's misplaced. Well, first of all, because it's one-sided, you know, that, and because, yes, there is a place in Christian experience for anger and even for um, a sense of outrage, you know, I mean, that's how we feel when we see genuine injustice. But those examples of what Jesus says to the religious leaders, even instances of anger that you find in Scripture, that, number one, that's not, that really was not Jesus' predominant mode in relating with people. Jesus was, was not a person who went around angry all the time. And, and I think, you know, yes. in our culture today, we've really seized on that. We've got permission to be angry, and we like it. And in social media, you have a structure that reinforces that. And so the re- and that's the real problem here isn't memes. You know, the problem is our inability to engage in conversation and that the church has quickly lost the art of being able to converse. The church seems to have sort of fallen in this pattern of one of a one predominant 
emotional mode, particularly in, re- in responding and interacting with those with whom it disagrees, and that's anger and outrage. And that's not persuasive. You know, if, if your goal is to communicate your idea and change somebody's mind, Outrage is probably not the first thing you want to go to. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Dr. John Kessler is our guest right now. By the way, if you want to find him, go to johnkessler.com. I'm going to spell this out for you. John Kessler, K-O-E-S-S-L-E-R.com. Johnkessler.com, K-O-E-S-S-L-E-R. Check it out. I think you're going to be incredibly compelled. Okay, coming up here, Doc. I want to discuss um, why people are angry and what that says about us. And I want to throw myself in there because we can all struggle with misplaced anger. When we have anger that is not righteous anger, and by the way, that righteous anger is the rare exception. Jesus is clear with that. I mean, it's rare. And it's, by the way, aimed at the religious elite, not the lost for sure. So, What is going on with that anger? Coming up, Dr. Kessler answering that question and a whole lot more. Waking you up with adrenaline and Jesus. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. We're back with Dr. John Kessler, faculty emeritus of Moody Bible Institute and pastor in pastoral studies. That is, we're talking today about memes and culture. All right, Doc. Um, We were talking a little bit about anger and a lot of these memes and social media posts, not just memes. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't lump them all together, are born out of anger. And I agree with you. You say a lot of this is misplaced. I like to answer the question, why, though? Because I think a lot of people need to, we need to dig down and go, what's at the core of this anger? What's at the core of angry Christianity that needs to be repented of, Doc? Well, I think if you would ask us, what we would say is that what's at the core of it is injustice and sin, and you know we have a sense of outrage against sin. And I think there may be certainly may be a grain of truth in that there is sin in the world that shapes it. There is plenty of injustice to go around. But again, I feel that we're being one-sided in our view of it, particularly since in our this generation seems to have rehabilitated the whole notion of anger. And we have forgotten that anger is also uh, has its root in the flesh. And in fact, the Bible has more that's negative to say yes. about anger than it does positive. And so if you ask, well, why are we so angry? Well, frankly, one reason we were angry is because the flesh likes anger. It, it leans toward it. In fact, it's when you look in those descriptions that Paul gives in the epistles of our before, the before and after, what, what yes. our life was like before grace came in and before Christ took over, one of the things that he mentions consistently is anger, that we were angry, that we were hated, that we were hateful and hated, you know, that that's, that is a, that's part of the culture of the flesh is to show no patience, no grace, to, to want to use power and force to compel people to do what we want them to do. Uh, Dr. John Kessler, my guest right now, to dig a little deeper on this, if we go down and go even below that, there's an unmet need that Jesus must, we're not allowing him to fill. If we're anger, if if we're manifesting unrighteous anger in our life, in memes or in posts, there's something that's manifesting inside us where the peace of God is not. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, 
fact, you know, when you ask yourself in general and uh, in ordinary human experience, where where does anger crop up? Most of the time, anger is a a function of not feeling like we have control. That of not, you know, we can't yeah. get people to do what we want them to do. And so we are angry with them. We keep, God doesn't do what we want it to do. Yes. And so we yes. get angry with him. You know, it it, it is often a, a kind of a normal emotional response in those situations where we feel powerless. And then, of course, our reaction is to try to create structures that grant us power. So if we go back to the issue of you know, what I call uh, uh, meme activism, uh, often what's happening with memes is it is a kind of coercive attempt to move people along a certain line. We want you to, you need to agree with this. You don't have to even necessarily be persuaded of it. I'm not making an argument for whatever this position is that the meme is asserting. I just need you to assert it. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't agree, if you don't click like, if you don't, if you don't copy this and uh, post it for someone else, then you're a bad person because it must mean that you agree with whatever bad thing you're complicit in whatever bad thing is taking place. I think that anger grows out of this sense of powerlessness. And I agree with you that it, there is a, a loss of a sense of God's control in the world, even in the worst of it, yeah. you know, in our age that uh, I've, I've one of the things I often say is that God must dearly love a mess because he's always yes. in the midst of it, yeah. you know. That's so and, true. You know, I, I one final question I have here for you, because a lot of people say, okay, great. Does that mean you want me off social media, Dr. Kessler? Does that mean that uh, Christians should be passive? Uh, should we not say anything? Well, uh, that's part of the fear, isn't it? That's yeah. the part of the fear is that if we don't do this, then other everybody else will be in control, and and right. they'll take over. They'll take over the social media platforms. And of course, first of all, that doesn't that, that does not seem to give God much credit for being in charge of things. And it might very well be a good practice for us to back off from our involvement in social media. I, you know, we really need to begin to ask ourselves how it's affecting us. I think a more constructive approach is for the church to reclaim its heritage of silence, reflection, and patient response. And that is, uh, the church needs to reclaim its conversational heritage, that it needs to learn how to have a conversation again. And uh, I think the church is fundamentally equipped for that because its foundational disciplines are disciplines of reading listening and speaking. And when you look at the church's history, you know, how it, how it came to the place where it, where it was able to sort through its differences on foundational doctrines, even in the scriptures, you see that it grew out of a heritage of communication and conversation. People who disagreed with one another talked about it, thought about it. They persisted in this difficult interaction with one another on those points where they were not on the same page. Yeah, and I think the church needs to reclaim that. I think you're right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I've I've made a lot of I've written a lot of posts that I've deleted. I've written yeah. a lot. I, re I really have, yeah. and I have a great bride. Uh, I've had a couple of times in the last twelve years where my brides come to me right after I made a post, and she goes, "Bub." 
You do not like angry Christians, and you you don't sound like one, but it's kind of edging that way. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I'll go, Ooh. my first response is, ah, come on, we got to stand up. And in my heart, you know, and then I, yeah. then the spirit gets hold of me and goes, you know what? Your wife is saying something wise here. Delete the stupid thing, Carl. So I delete yeah. it. But oftentimes when I do, so I've taken on the, 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 the shredding of the nuclear family, but, and I, I did it in a way that I felt like spirit of God led me in grace. But then at the end of it, and I try to do this and say, let it begin with us, the family of yeah. God. So I try right. to take this thing out of it, and I notice that the responses are much more contemplative than accusatory when we say, let it begin in me, dear God. And isn't that, doesn't it boil down to that, Doc? That really is the heart of it. You, you need to ask yourself, what is it that I'm really trying to accomplish? Am I looking for a reaction or am I looking for reflection? Oh. If I'm looking for reflection, then how do I need to carry out this conversation? You know, it's, it's helped me to think about conversation as, a, as an act of hospitality, uh, which is very different than, say, <laughs> you know, thinking of it as launching a bomb into, yep. you know, or, or, or taking a shot at someone. You know, hospitality, one of the basic things with hospitality is that I am, I am allowing somebody into my home. I'm providing for them in fact, traditionally in hospitality, you know, you're, wel- you're welcoming the stranger and treating them as a member of your family. So you're treating them with respect. You recognize the vulnerability of the person that you have welcomed in, and you're treating them accordingly. I think the same thing is going on with conversation. Yes. yes. You know, I've got an idea for your next podcast or article. I've got the title. Hospitality, <laughs> hospitality or hostility. What will guide your yeah. social media yeah. conversations? Because that's it's yeah. it's really one or the other. Dr. John Kessler, that's the man. And if you want to get more from him, you can go right here to his site. And he has a website, johnkessler.com. And here's the spelling. K-O-E-S-S-L-E-R. Again, that's K-O-E-S-S-L-E-R. John Kessler. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Find us on social media. Just search Carl and Crew Mornings on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Warning signs are everywhere in Scripture, and today we've got one that is replete. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, we are reminded of this over and over again, and sometimes we ignore it. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the great lost disciplines in the church today, because generally when you go to church, in fact, I was preaching on this topic on Sunday and I told the church, I said, hey, you feeling good? You know, you come to church and you're wanting to hear a great message and you hear this one and they just start roaring in <laughs> laughter. And they're good sports. In fact, I had some folks come up to me afterwards and go, you know, as tough as that is to hear, that's probably one of the most important messages we've got to get. What is it? Listen, guys, here's the bottom line. If we ignore the warning signs that unconfessed sin is going to be our undoing, man, that's, that's one that you can't just blow through that warning sign. You've got to pay attention to it. If we look at Proverbs 28, verse 13, listen to this. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We find over and over in Scripture that unconfessed sin actually 
bring sickness to the bones. And if you think about this, Sajit Christopher, we were tag team teaching on Sunday. We're doing something really novel and out of the box. It's really fun. But he was breaking down the reality, as we find throughout the scriptures, that to deal with, to, to not heed the warning sign of confessing sin to God actually has spiritual, relational, and physical attachments to it. Have you ever noticed that? When you're sitting on sin, how it can affect you physiologically? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's real, isn't it? Makes it? you sick inside. Um, I, I'll pull up the psalm soon, but one of my favorite psalms, because, because I think it encapsulates this so well, uh, is when King David says that That's he had one. sin that he hadn't confessed and he can feel it in his bones. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, pull up that reference here, yeah, buddy. I'll I don't want to be just throwing. I think this it's stuff Psalm 38. There. Let me see if I. Can yeah, it's powerful stuff, and and uh, that can, that unconfessed sin. Here's here's the beauty and the bummer of being born again. When you are born again, you are on the hook for stuff like you never were before. Yeah. And one of the great difficulties and challenges of being born again is that the stuff that you used to skate by without getting having <laughs> ah, another thought about it. Now it's like. Oh, good grief. The Holy Spirit won't let me up for air on anything here. Got to deal with this. Yeah, got to deal with it. It was Psalm 32. Psalm 32, three through four. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's powerful. Yeah. Read that one more time. Yeah. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Coming up here, I want to tackle, I want to give some hope here first, because you might be sitting here going, oh, good grief. I want to give some hope because there is, there are two central passages of scripture that speak to the upside of confession. And then we want to tackle why do we get stuck in this sin, shame, repent, repeat, like bad shampoo cycle? Why do we do that? Why do we get in that bad shampoo cycle <laughs> where it's like, you got to be kidding me. Here we go again. We'll break loose from that, too. Uh, there is confession, but there is something else that's going on, and it's repeated everywhere in Scripture. We're going to break it down coming up. Going from believers of Jesus to followers of Jesus. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's a great opener, Young Thunder. We're talking about warning signs. Come on, it's like the dashboard of our soul. Things are blinking in there. Sometimes it's like, oh boy, I'm trying to paste on fake fruit. But in this case, it's not dealing with sin. And we know from scripture that confession is everywhere. And confession like breaks open the log jam that lets the fresh waters of God's presence flow again in our life. When you say confession, what specifically do we mean when we're saying that? It's agreement with God uh, because God knows everything. Confession isn't like, uh, what would the, what would be what would be the word used if we told something to someone that they didn't know it? It would be, uh, um, there'd be a stronger word. I'm trying to think of it. I thought you guys like would have it. I don't know. Yeah, like revelation. revelation. Like oh, a disclosure. Oh, a oh yeah, one. yeah, disclosure. That'd be one. a good word. Okay. Yeah, but it's not disclosure. We don't disclose to God. He knows. Yeah. Confession ah, okay. is agreement with God of something that he knows. Yeah. And it's coming to agreement with him around 
a, a sin, a missing the mark in our life. Now, I want to be super clear because some of you were raised in a faith tradition that you had to do this with a guy where you had to go in and talk to a guy, a, a pastor or a priest about this. Listen to me. I, I want to, I'm, I'm kind of moderating on this position a little bit, and I'm going to tell you why here in just a moment. Because although I do not believe that you should ever go to a person when we can go directly to God, sometimes going to a person to go to God does help. And what do I mean by that? We're going to see this here. Well, let me give it to you right now. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's genuine healing. You know what the, the Greek word for healing means? Healing. Okay. Yeah, really profound stuff. Very. The prayer of the righteous have great power as it is working. This is a powerful thing, guys, but I, I'm, oh, I hadn't planned on sharing this, but I got to do it. I watched a clip of a young lady. It was about a five-minute video clip of a young lady that was raised in a really conservative church. She had some PTSD come out of this because it was very legalistic. And her dad was the pastor of the church, and she wrestled big time with all these legalisms that were foisted upon her. She went to 12 years of therapy. Oh, wow. And then she had a revelation. This is so brave of her to say. She realized that therapy for what she had gone through could have been much briefer if she would have learned the art of confessing her own stuff to God. Mm. She said, when I began to learn the art of confessing my own sin, I started realizing Whoa, it's not everyone out there. Yeah. And, and you know, we live in a world today where our nation is ravaged because of the lack of personal responsibility. Hmm. We are. We're ravaged yeah. by it, guys. It is killing us. I went down a Twitter hole the other day, made me sick to my stomach. Hmm. The amount of people that use either anonymity or they're so smug they can care less if they know who you are. And they just rip people indiscriminately and yeah. blame and point fingers it is a cesspool of toxicity in our world today. Yeah. Straight up is. I mean, I've I've definitely found for myself that if I am making excuses as to why, you know, things are happening in my life or why I'm why I'm struggling with a, maybe a specific sin, uh, that sin is much harder to get out of my life, even if I am repenting for it. Um, but if I kind of wipe away the other things, you know, that that are valid sometimes. Uh, maybe, maybe someone that I'm talking to has been disrespectful for me to me. And that has brought out an anger problem in my life. Uh, that person has still been disrespectful to me and that is valid. However, they aren't making me feel those things. And when I recognize that, that I'm the one who's pushing my buttons, I'm the one who's in control of how I respond, then it's so much easier to take that to God and break the habit of it. You just summarized beautifully what this girl was saying. Because yeah. here's the bottom line. We're going to have betrayals. We're going to have getting the shaft. It's going to happen in a broken world. Here's the funny thing. We can't do too much with that stuff that happens to us. Yeah. You can't. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So the, but, but here's the rub. We live in a world today that so litigates everything that happens to them. Blame, game, this, and it goes on and on. And I'm telling you right now, 
I, I told the church this on Sunday. If you were to tell me I'm going to die in a week, what would I say to you on my dying days? I'm going to tell you right now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the second thing is this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Learn to take personal responsibility for your life. I know that sounds almost like, whoa, that's what you'd say on your day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've been in the people business so long. I would say, own it. Yeah. Own whatever you got to own. You're going to do yourself a favor. I just get heartbroken over people that secund their life to sitting back and pointing. And uh, you got to make all this right. And this. Yes, I know there's injustices. I get that. And they are, some of them are horrific and systemic. But you know what? They're going to be there. And generally, you aren't going to make all those things right. Very true. And then you're e not. And even if you can, then you wonder why your life doesn't thrive because you go with you wherever you go. No kidding. <laughs> like no kidding. Yeah. So true. Going on a rant here, but uh, this is true. So what's yeah. the warning sign? The warning sign is don't let sin sit unconfessed in your life. Why? Because it's going to kill you. So the question is, what do we do? If you're going to kill sin, you got to get, you got to start ideating, brainstorm, and pray about ways to forsake it. Mm. You know, we don't do that enough. Sit yeah. down and brainstorm. Get out a pen and hot pen ideas. How am I going to keep this from repeating itself in my life? Right, because we want to experience forgiveness, yeah. which is awesome. We also then want to experience freedom. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.